as collaborators. We wrote letters to every school in the country and uh, through their conference and described how badly they were discriminating against women, against all the metrics. And so one of the things that we're doing right now is as they're cutting these programs is we are making sure that um, that they that these athletes understand what their legal rights are and then matching them with attorneys who can take the cases. Welcome to Zestful Aging, where I interview thoughtful, inspiring, and influential guests who are making their mark on the world and contributing to the greater good. Making your mark, big or small, is creating a legacy, and it's one of the proven ways we can age with vibrance and deep contentment. And Zestful Aging Podcast is my legacy. I'm your host, Nicole Christina, psychotherapist and fellow Zestful Ager. Our lovely music is courtesy of Judy Banker, who was a previous guest on Zestful Aging. Find out more about her at judybanker.com. And to find out more about this podcast, my web courses, and other offerings, hop on over to zestfulaging.com. I know that everyone is feeling really stressed and anxious right now. We're all unsettled and feel out of control. So I created a free download for you for maintaining mental health based on my 30 years as a psychotherapist. Um, Just go to zestfulaging.com and it is all yours. Well, I've got my little loyal Jack Russell Sparky right by my side, and you may actually hear him snoring. (laughs) We have such a great interview for you today. I am so excited, and I wanted to commemorate Kamala Harris's victory and highlight the fight for women's equality with a special episode, and our guest today is a rock star in all things girl and women's advocacy, and I'm so honored to have her today on the show. Nancy Hogshead Maycock is an Olympic gold medal champion, a civil rights lawyer, and the founder and CEO of Champion Women, a nonprofit providing legal advocacy for girls and women in sports. Focus areas include equal play, such as traditional Title IX compliance in athletic departments, sexual harassment, abuse, and assault, as well as employment, pregnancy, and LGBTQ discrimination within sports. Nancy led an eight-year effort to protect athletes from sexual abuse in club and Olympic sports. Most recently, she galvanized the sport, child protection, and civil rights communities in, in support of the new federal law, the Safe Sport Act, signed into law in February 2018. Welcome to the program, Nancy. Thank you, Nicole. Thank you for that nice introduction. Oh, I'm so delighted to have you. I've been thinking about Kamala Harris and her victory and how she just walks. In fact, when I'm on the tennis court, I try to channel my inner Kamala with her, (laughs) you know, her kind of uh, her can do uh, confidence and her and her the hop in her step. (laughs) 
when she yeah. comes off the airplane. And so what a perfect way to commemorate her historic uh, and wonderful uh, win here. So let's start with how does an Olympic swimmer become a legal advocate for women and girls? What's your journey been? Sure. Um, I got started early <laughs> um, and I got pulled in by other women. So at, when I was at the 1984 Olympics, Donna Deverona pulled me aside and, and actually she talked to the entire team, but, but pulled me aside and, and essentially every time somebody put a microphone in front of my face after winning in the Olympics, I talked about the importance of this federal law, Title IX, mm -hmm. in getting me there, that without that federal law, it wouldn't have happened that mm -hmm. it enabled me to get a college scholarship and to be able to continue my athletic career beyond high school. I see. And you yes. were very aware of that in college, that that was about Title IX? I was not. I was not. It wasn't until um, when I was at the, uh, at the Olympics. I was 22 years old. I had actually taken a time off from college. I went to Duke University to uh, be able to go for the Olympics. But I, I, I didn't kind of put two and two together until later. I didn't sort of remember that um, in, in the summertime, my club team that was very, very good, uh, they, uh, it, it, it swelled in size over the summer as all these guys came back from college, but no women were coming back from college. And, but I, I hit the timing just right. If I had been just a couple years older, I would not have had all these opportunities. Um, how, how interesting. Do yeah. you have siblings, Nancy? I do. I do, do have, have an older, older brother, younger brother. sister. Mm -hmm. Uh-huh. And do you think about how your experience uh, was different than your older brothers in sports? No. Um, you know, he's a guy, number one, mm -hmm. so he always had college scholarships and he always had opportunities to be able to participate. Um, and, uh, you know, my sister, my, my brother was a, was a world-class rower. He was on the national team in rowing and uh, went to Harvard and rode on with uh, the great, um, uh, uh, the, you know, the team there. And, and, I, um, and, and so you can imagine my sister, you know, it doesn't really appeal to her to go into something where her brother and sister have kind of taken over the domain, mm -hmm. if you will. You can't <laughs> so, really, you can't really yeah. do better than that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, she did her own thing. So it wasn't a, it wasn't a family thing. It was a, all of a sudden, I remember being like a junior, senior in high school, and pretty much I could go anywhere I wanted to go in the country with a full scholarship. Mm -hmm. Right? So um, anyway, just, oh, it seemed to me, it felt like overnight, what we were told back in the day was that women's bodies peaked at age you know, between 16 and 18 years old. And that's why, why w women didn't compete in college, like, w but without recognizing <laughs> there are no programs, there's no place for them to go. Mm -hmm. So yeah, no, I was still going my best times. And, you know, if I'd had the, the current financial setup that they do now, I might've been able to keep going with my, my athletic career, you know, between us, I'm glad I was able to move on and go do different things. Mm -hmm. um, the, the life of an athlete is pretty brutal. Yeah. T yeah. Talk a little bit about that. And, and, and I'm curious also what your experience was with your coaches. Um, so it, to be a world-class athlete is a full-time committed thing. I, I honestly don't know how NCAA athletes do it 
just to tell you what my my life uh, from age between 12 and 22 was is getting up at 4:45 in the morning. We swam for two hours from 5:30 to 7:30. Uh, my high school went from eight to four, but typically college classes, you know, started at nine or so. Uh, and then um, we had an hour, like hour and a half during school uh, where we either lifted weights or ran like during PE in the middle of the day or, and then uh, it was two more hours of swimming after, after school. Um, it is not something that one does lightly mm -hmm. to prepare for the 1984 Olympics. I did nothing else. I did not have a job. I did not, I, I did nothing but train. And part of training is resting. So, um, yeah. You have uh, to kind of, it's all about training. It's all oriented towards how am I going to keep my body at its peak, right? And resting is part of that. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. What was social life like in those days? Well, social life was generally good because swim teams are usually pretty big. So you, you've got, uh, I still have lifelong friends and thank God for Facebook mm -hmm. so I can keep up with everybody. Yeah, no, swim, it's, it's pretty good. Um, the, the, um, the part that people usually want to know is that, um, you know, here I was this very elite, very ambitious athlete at a young age. And what was that like being a female and um, being the best in the world? I was ranked number one in the world at age 14. So what was that like? And um, I can tell you, I had, I got sort of the upfront and personal backlash against, not backlash isn't the right word, but um, people's ideas about femininity and what it meant to be a girl. Um, and, you know, running up with me was, uh, you know, I kind of got reminded all the time that what I was doing was counter gender, that uh, the, the gender police were out to get me. <laughs> the gender Anyone police were any, like articles, like influencers, who was giving you this message that you're doing it wrong? Honestly, every day. I mean, what I got told was I, I am on the muscular side. There's like a bell shaped curve. And my biggest competitor weighed 30 pounds less than I did. And we were the same height. But I, um, she was just that model rail thin, like she could lift weights forever and never put on any muscle. And mm -hmm. I am much more like my brother, like, you know, when I lift, I put on muscle. It's a very mm -hmm. rare trait for Caucasian women. And, uh, but I have it. And, um, you know, so I got teased, not just teased, but sort of like kind of, um, you know, isn't that gross? You know, mm -hmm. like, oh my gosh, like that. Oh, and, um, and who, like, I, and who, who, you're saying, you know, you, you got it all over, like these are classmates, teachers, who, who are these people? Like people felt free to sort of comment on my marriage ability or, you know, I remember like just perfect strangers going into the bathroom and, um, you know, walking into the bathroom and somebody stopping me and saying, Hey, that sign says women. Like I was wearing a tank top, you know, like, oh, my and, um, goodness. and I was like, well, I'm a girl. <laughs> and uh you know and and there you are <laughs> yeah no i mean uh, and you're a 14 year old girl how yeah. how did that impact you emotionally um you know i it obviously didn't stop me 
you know, I kept right on going, mm -hmm. but I did take notice and I did when, by the time I got to college and I started majoring in women's studies, I, I knew I, I like everything clicked for me because I had been counter gender. I had been doing things in a way that other people found threatening, right? So when I would win, um, you know, a national, when I'd come home, right, I would have people, you know, other, they would say, well, at least I have dates or, oh, um, yeah, wow. weird. It really yeah. reminds now, now remember, me. This, yeah, this is like 1977. 77, but still with Serena Williams. This is something that she yeah, deals I'm, with all yeah, the I'm, time. Yeah, I'm, I, like, I think Serena's, like I ha I have that same propensity that she does to be able to put on muscle mm -hmm. and newsflash it ages really well. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, yeah, she, um, um, yeah, so there, but there was not her going ahead of me. Um, there were the East Germans and, you know, people would say, you know, well, look at Nancy Ogshead. <laughs> and, uh, um, yeah, but so when I majored in women's studies is when I, that's when I started, uh, it was political science. At that time, you could only minor in it um, when in gender studies. Um, but I, you know, like I, it, it all made sense to me. It all like, you know, oh, right. I'm, it is threatening to the order of men being superior. I had a coach one time who tried to motivate the guys by saying, how can you let a girl beat you? And I pulled him aside to say, hey, you're making both of our lives miserable. It just cannot be that they have their their masculinity and their personhood on the line at every practice. Like that's not motivating. That's not fun. That is. Um, it's shaming. It's shaming. Exactly. And to his credit, he never said it again. Not once. And, and so. you as his student or you know oh at this time i was like 15 16 years old like and i you, i knew you this said was... this to the coach like knock it off this is this is harmful right yeah yeah i mean swimming is one of the rare sports where we train side by side with the guys swimming and track and field you know i think there's a, in in tennis nicole don't you have that as well where the guy men and women train mm -hmm. and yeah and compete together they have we have mixed doubles and yes we do yeah, 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 yeah. So same kind of thing is that, um, uh, you know, uh, and, and, you know, the, the, the wonderful thing about that is that it breeds this respect. We know in sexual assault that uh, men who compete in all male sports pose a much higher risk of a, assault to women generally, not just women athletes, um, whereas men who are in co-ed sports, um, like swimming and track and field, don't have that same heightened risk and i think it's because of all the good things that that you know if your coach isn't sort of hammering home those uh sexist messages that that you know that it, it's impossible for the let's say the men's stanford team to be belittling to you know women or pussy or say bad things about women when you know, you've got some of the most amazing athletes in the world right next to mm -hmm. mm -hmm. It breeds a, a respect. Yeah, yeah, mm -hmm. right. You're When you're swimming lap for lap, when you're, when you're, you're uh, lifting weight for weight, mm -hmm. when you're, uh, when, you know, your, your teammates and your 
concerned about how each other is doing competitively and when the team points all help you be able to win that championship for both mm -hmm. the boys and the girls and the men's and women's teams. So, so yeah. you, your advocacy, it sounds like there's a, a personal piece to it. It's, it's not a, necessarily an intellectual, you know, I'm going to be a legal advocate for girls and women. It sounds to me like this all makes sense given your own personal experience coming up in the world as a, a female athlete. Yeah, I, I think, yeah, that I, I would have been... I think it's sort of wired in me, my DNA, like my family tells the story about when I was, um, when I was five years old, my family was, was moving to England and they, we, um, had to move, put all the stuff away and my dad forgot his pillow. And so in the middle of the night, you know, he's packing up and my brother and I are in the same room and he reaches over, grabs my brother's pillow from under my brother's head and he's, you know, taking it to go for his, you know, for whatever, four nights late before we were off to this huge trip. And um, I apparently marched right in with my little five-year-old self and the way they describe it is like, I'm stomping there. And I'm, I say, you give my brother back his pillow. <laughs> so I think like I'm wired for Justice. advocacy. I see. Yeah. I see you're, oh, that's so interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Aww. So, um, and, uh, you know, as I got older, I knew that I wanted to be an advocate, particularly for women. And, and I just thought through sports was the best way for me to do it, given, given, <laughs> given my sports background. Mm -hmm. Right. But I, but I think I would have been equally as happily doing it for engineering, for the arts, for the, in, in the Catholic church, like in, in all these other areas, you know, regular employment in, you know, and been very, very happy doing that. I see. I see. Hello, everyone. I wanted to tell you about a product I've been using lately for aches and pains that's really helped me, and I've been singing it from the rooftops. Some of you may already have discovered the benefits of using CBD. I have found it to be a game changer for my creaky joints. I'm a tennis player, and I have three dogs, and being active is really important to me, and we know how important it is in aging well. Well, but at age 59, my joints can be a bit stiff, uh, especially in my knees. And this stuff has really helped. So I don't have to wear a knee brace anymore, which really wasn't such a good look. I've done my research and it's very important to get the highest quality ingredients. There's a lot of junk on the market. So you have to make sure the product is tested by a third party lab at the very least. My my favorite company is called Pros, P-R-O-Z-E, and they have several products that are formulated for specific problems, including sleep and mental focus. Uh, lately, I've been using the performance gum called Yippies and the Nods, which helps me sleep and tastes very cinnamony. If you go to their website, pros.com, and enter the coupon code ZESTFUL, you're going to get 15% off. I highly recommend trying it out. I think you're really going to be surprised how effective it is, and I would love some feedback from you on how it works. Again, the website pros, P-R-O-Z-E dot com. Coupon code is zestful. 
Thank you. Now back to the show. So what's a day like for you when you're doing your legal advocacy? What does it look like? Um, a, a day is my my team are a bunch of night owls. <laughs> so uh, usually the night before we sort of lay out like here's what needs to happen and here's, you know, what we're doing. You know, we, we sort of continuously change what the priority is based on what the 911 of the day is. But right now, because of COVID, these schools are cutting all these programs for women in sports, men in sports too. And um, so back in June, we wrote letters to every single school in the country. Champion Women wrote letters along with the California Women's Law Center, Amy Poyer, they were phenomenal. As collaborators, we wrote letters to every school in the country and uh, through their conference and described how badly they were discriminating against women, against all the metrics. And so one of the things that we're doing right now is as they're cutting these programs is we are making sure that um, that they that these athletes understand what their legal rights are and then matching them with attorneys who can take the cases and making sure that when the attorney leaves that case that they don't just get the team reinstated that they that they also remedy the millions of dollars in college scholarship dollars that that need to be added as well as the the there, there may be additional opportunities that need to be added. There may be, there there may be a lot of treatment issues. They're not getting treated the same way. They're not getting the same, the same level of uh, everything from coaching to facilities, to equipment, to right. The, uh, the media, the medical care. I hear about the way the Syracuse university men's basketball team gets treated. And it sounds like they're in, uh, it, it, it they're treated extremely well, like royalty. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 So um, it, it's okay for a school to do what's called tiering, which means that, you know, you've got some athletes that some of the, we're, we're p- going to pick, let's say, men's football and men's basketball. So that's 145 athletes. And we're going to give them tier one treatment. And then we're on the women's side, you need to pick 145 athletes, uh, assuming that it's a school where it's 50-50. Most schools are not 50-50. Most schools are 60-40, women, men. But those opportunities where, assuming it's a 50-50 world, that you would have 145 women, which may be, that could be six teams that are getting this tier one treatment. I see. I but right see. now, there's, there's, they, there's, not the same, there's not the necessary recognition of equal treatment. And, and I would say that when, when women, uh, come to us without any forethought, without any planning whatsoever, and you go through a list of here's how, how the law measures equality between men and women. And, you know, how are you being treated there? They, without even thinking about it, they already know that they're not getting the same medical care treatment. Um, you know, we've got we've got some Title IX cases that are just getting started right now because the men are getting those rapid COVID tests and the women are not. Nice. And the women are told being told just to go to, you know, go quarantine 
whereas the men get to keep training and keep going with these rapid COVID tests. So, so they're, they're by law. Sometimes people get a little confused on the difference between professional sports and college sports. In college sports, they're subject to Title IX. These are educational opportunities. The school doesn't pay taxes. The school gets a lot of federal funds. And in exchange, the, the, the exchange is supposed to be that the school's doing this, this thing called sports on behalf of the women, that, that on behalf of the athletes that it is part of their education. We know all these amazing benefits that that flow from being an athlete. And um, so in education, there is no reason to discriminate. So can you say, well, the men's sports makes money? Nope. They bring in tickets? Nope. Uh, they have a donor? Nope. Uh, they have a sponsor? Nope. There is no financial reason or any reason to give men and women unequal educational opportunities called sports. If this was the math department, people would kind of, you know, click, click, you know, get it probably a little faster. Um, that's, that's very interesting. And I think probably most people don't realize that. Exactly. And most athletes, most division one athletes don't realize that they're mad about it. And they know that they're not being treated equally, but they don't know how to do anything about it. They don't. So, they don't realize what a, what a good remedy that they have at their fingertips. I right. See. And then and, and they 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 don't know that. And they also don't know how to how to work with an attorney, right? So that's where my organization comes in. Is I I can you know here's how you work with an attorney. Here's an attorney who will do this kind of work, who knows this area. And so, you know, the, the, the programs getting cut is typically the trigger that makes, uh, that sort of gets things started. But our goal is that when people come to us, that again, the school not just return the teams back to the same sexist state that they were in. When we wrote those letters and we did this metadata analysis, um, our director of operations is a math genius. Her name is Janine Kissner. And Janine, when Janine and I sat down and like looked at where we were, big data was every year women lose out on a billion dollars a year in college athletic scholarships, a wow. billion dollars in college scholarships. Wow. Yeah. Because they're women, no other reason. They're missing out on 183,000 opportunities. When I show those numbers to sports that are trying to grow, like like women's tennis and equestrian and wrestling, women's wrestling, women's rugby, when I show those numbers, like there's plenty of room for you to go in and demand opportunities at pretty much anywhere. Um, University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill needs to add uh, 350 women to its athletic department, to its, to, uh, to, as athletes. And it needs to add over six, uh, six and a half million dollars in college scholarships. That's just one school. I mean, we're talking, this is beyond Oprah money. This mm -hmm. is, right, you cannot, no single donor can make up for the intentional sex discrimination that wow. schools are, are, are engaging in. I mean, so one, one, one of the things, one of the reasons why I wanted to, to do your podcast with this you know, zestful aging is that, mm -hmm. is that, you know, 
you know, you were interested in, like, how did things change as you're getting old? How has your perspective changed? And, and, um, and thank you for that. Thanks for what you're doing. Uh, because one of the things that I, that, that has changed for me is I thought that by being polite and by being respectful and by, by getting the information out there on sex discrimination in the athletics department, I thought that that would work. So, right. That would so, be enough. Yeah, right. Mm -hmm. I, so we, um, We've been sending millions of dollars in free legal work out to schools and really blanketing the whole school, not just not just to the general counsel and the athletic director and the president. They already know the bad story, but to getting it out to, you know, the the head of the student body and the 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 donors and finding out who has the power in the school. It's in newsflash. It's never the coach. Um mm -hmm. And uh, getting it out to the um, uh, to the women's studies department or to the women's center to the right. We tried to look at a school, where's the power, and make sure that those people had this information as to what was happening in their own athletic department. And guess what? After five years, that strategy failed. We did not get new programs added. We did not move the needle. We did not move the dial at all. And the dial, when we looked at this, met when Janine Kistner and I looked at this data, is it is getting worse that the sex discrimination, the gap between men and men's and women's athletic opportunities is growing. It is, it's not like, oh, you know, it's 2% a year, eventually we'll get there. No, 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 just the opposite. It is getting worse. What's your theory about that? Is that nobody's nobody's minding the store. Nobody's forcing them to do it. Mm -hmm. So I am now, I used to have it like in my bio would be like, and how to achieve gender equity without litigation. Forget that. If that's my only weapon, not weapon, but if that's my only tool to be able to increase opportunities for women in sports, for them to get this amazing opportunity that I got, that I, I don't know somebody that didn't have a college sports experience, that it wasn't transformative, that it wasn't a major rock, that it didn't provide a, a community for them. Um, and to think that 183,000 women aren't getting that every single year because they're women is, to me, is tragic and that it's not getting any better. How do you deal with your own then day-to-day -day frustration that all of the work and commitment of you and your team is, you know, you're, it's not even a small gain, but you're feeling, you're, you're seeing the data and you're realizing we're slipping backwards. Yeah. Um, if anything, when we did get that data, when Jeanine and I sat down and we like looked at like we we had, you know, new trend lines and um, and um, if anything, that it really motivated me like, <laughs> OK, game on. Because, <laughs> Not a woman to uh, yeah. turn her back from uh, a challenge. Right. Right. So um, my my husband says that I have two. He calls them faults. <laughs> but uh, two things about me that um, that uh, make you know make me you know you know sort of energize my one is of course I'm crazy competitive right Duh, you don't win three gold medals in the Olympics without being having a screw loose there right so crazy crazy competitive 
And I, and at the same time, I'm really optimistic. So I got that from my mother. Um, and so I have this idea that I can do it, that if I just exert, if I just raise enough money, and if I just exert the right pressure, and if I just make the right connections between X and Y, and um, that I can do it. So when you combine those two things, because he's like, that gets you in such hot water. You know, what if you, you know, back in the day when I started, when I got into the issue of sexual abuse in uh, the Olympic movement, you know, again, I, I had no idea what a heavy lift it was going to be to try to get pedophiles out of sport, to try to get sexual abuse out of sport. Um, right. I just thought like, I can do this. Mm -hmm. I, I know everybody at the Olympic movement. I'm on the inside track and I know these people and they, I'm already giving seminars and presentations for them on, you know, pay inequities or whatnot. I, I just thought I could do it. And boy, oh boy, if you would have told me what a, what a road it was going to be ahead. But you know, we just got our second piece of federal legislation passed. Wow. So, yeah. you know, it, it it sounds like this is really your life's work. Yeah. Yeah. No, for sure. <laughs> it is for sure. Yeah. Now I have taken being an advocate, you know, I know what sports gave me and I am forever in debt for the people who went ahead of me and made Title IX happen. Um and and made sure that I had an equal opportunity in sports. Um, and any, any women athletes in particular who were trailblazers for you? I mean, Catherine Switzer ah. and Donna Deverona and Don, ah. Donna Lopiano did so much. Christine Grant. Um, there's a whole uh, Judy Sweet. Uh, mm -hmm. There are so many, not just athletes, but. Uh, you know, you know, people are talking about like athlete activism, like number one, it's this new thing, newsflash, it's not. Number two is, is women athletes in particular have always had to be advocates. Like there was no way that the women on the national women's soccer team, when they were, were winning in the World Cup, would not, did not also have to be advocates, right? Women have always had to, um, had to um, you know, brace for these uh, for the onslaught of, you know, they had to, they had to convince the world that what they were doing was as valuable and as exciting and as, as worthy as what the men were doing. Mm -hmm. Well, that was a, a, that was a new level, right? Of advocacy, <laughs> the, the women's soccer team suing. Am I right about that? It's a, it was a different strategy, but in terms of a new level, Women athletes have had to be doing that forever. Mm -hmm. um, no, it, the the fact that they that, that this was happening within the Olympic movement instead of the college movement um, that was a little different. You had the hockey players that went before them. Um, what what made it on a whole nother scale was just how incredibly popular they were. How mm -hmm. many people, it's like one in four people in the world watch the Women's mm. World Cup. <clears throat> mm. And then to still be in the face of sexism mm -hmm. of, uh, of, you know, just if anybody who covers women's sports or who is a women at, a woman athlete uh, gets gets misogynistic, social media trolls that I, I don't know anybody who doesn't get it and in ways that men never have to confront mm 
men never get the kinds of trolling um, that women get. Like, I don't, what, what, what do these people have nothing better to do but mm -hmm. to, yeah. you know, engage in this trolling? Anyway, so. <clears throat> um, I imagine what, social media has made it even more intense. I think so. I think so. It's given an outlet to these sexists who, mm -hmm. who are mad that women are not staying in the kitchen. <laughs> or who are beating them. Yeah, right. Right. And who, who want the right to beat them. <laughs> yeah. And, um, you know, they're, they're upsetting the patriarchy. It's like the same people who are just sort of fundamentally mad that Kamala is now the vice president of the United States. Mm -hmm. And it is nothing just like when I said that, it just made me smile so broadly and gives me such joy mm -hmm. that we are at this place in our world where, um, where Kamala is the vice president. That is just, but you know, um, but just like Hillary Clinton before her, we knew that she was going to be judged and evaluated on very different categories than men were. And right. She had to be a level of sophisticated and a level of, you know, there's a fine line for her behavior that, um, that, that men don't even understand. They can't really relate to it in quite the same way. That's right. That's right. What's next for you? Are you, are you working on any uh, projects that are coming up or any particular goals? Yeah. The, the, um, so we just got our second piece of federal legislation passed, uh, a week ago, Friday. Mm, so it is brand. Yeah. Yeah. It is brand spanking new. I think my bio that I gave you didn't even include it because it hadn't happened yet, but we have, uh, we, we created a, uh, a group. We call ourselves team integrity. They're the committee to restore integrity to the USOPC. And so for years we've been, we've been writing legal memos and position papers and explaining how the finances of the USOPC work, et cetera. We've been, we've been giving all this stuff to Congress as they've been investigating because of the Larry Nassar situation. So because these victims were willing to come forward and were willing to um, demand change, we had already done, we had done the homework and are doing the work of, of um, letting the committee know that it's not just about getting one pedophile out of sport. That's not it. It is how do you change a system so that athletes, in order to be able to make the Olympic team, don't have to be so obedient and compliant? I because see. when you require obedience and compliance, then you're going to set up a system where they can be abused. And we're seeing now in gymnastics, I hope everybody out there follows the hashtag Gymnast Alliance and watches the movie Athlete A. It okay. is Athletes A is on Netflix. It's outstanding. I learned okay. not a single piece of new information and I still had a hard time sleeping that night. Athlete A is Maggie Nichols. But because all these women were willing to come forward mm -hmm. and say, here's how the the system is fundamentally broken here. Mm -hmm. And how can we how can we how can we change governance in such a way that not only do we remedy uh, athlete sexual abuse, but also physical and emotional abuse mm -hmm. as, as athletes in the Olympic movement are financially abused. Half of them live well below poverty level. Oh, I see. Um, yeah. And so there's no way that you can kind of solve one without the other. You can't give them a voice like, 
I mean, to, I love Allie Reisman. I just think she, when she talks, I'm like, people listen. She, <laughs> um, and Allie Reisman never needed empowerment in the term, in the sense of, you know, of, you know, personal emboldenment. What she needed was the, what kept her from being able to speak when she was on the national and Olympic teams were a system that if she didn't toe the line, they were going to yank her no matter how good she was. No matter, she can't, she couldn't achieve out of it, right? That's the, the thing about both racism and sexism and homophobia is that we, that some people can do achieve despite the racism and sexism and homophobia, but, but in general, those forces keep very meritorious people from being able to be who they are and being able to achieve what they should be able to achieve. So, so we, we want to make sure that the, the system of the Olympic sport movement allows her to be able to speak up without having to worry about what, what, what is that going to do to her, her place on the team? I mean, it's, it's no different than when Colin Kaepernick is doing his ability to speak out on behalf of police shootings. Um, using his position as an elite athlete mm -hmm. to speak out on social justice issues is just like uh, Allie Reisman being able to speak out on um, issues of ab abuse and financial abuse. I mean, her mother told me that Allie never made more than $500 a month when she was on the national team. Meanwhile, uh, Steve Penny, the head of the Olympic Committee, is making in on the order of... Uh, um, I don't know, a hundred times that. Oh, um, sure. It's making, sure. you know, six, $800,000 a year. Mm -hmm. So anyway, you can't solve financial, you can't solve sexual abuse without also um, solving all these other issues. And, you know, make, I mean, the issues sort of, they don't stop. Oh, power. Yeah, power. power. Thank you very for, much. For, yeah. for those of us zestful agers, sort of maybe regular people throughout the world who are, you know, doing our best to understand these issues, what would you recommend in terms of how do we put, throw our weight behind these uh these equality uh, movements. Uh, how can we help support what you're doing? Yeah, I mean, it, uh, a couple different ways. One is you can give mo give money. We always need resources to be able to do these kinds of things. Um, mm -hmm. You know, Janine's got a four year old son. <laughs> None of us can work for free. And that's it, for Champion Women. Uh huh. Yeah. So Champion okay. Women. Uh, so that's on championwomen.org. All one word. Um, and, um, and then we, um, we use the labor of law school students and undergrads who are interested in advocacy type work, um, to help us when we wrote those letters to all those schools across the country and get all that data, right. And make sure everything, get collecting all the email addresses of the athletic directors and the uh, presidents of the universities and whatnot, right? So we, 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 our source of, uh, labor <laughs> is, uh, people who want to get involved. And so, so we, you, people can get involved that way. And I'm sure you have a social presence. Do you have hashtags and, and that, that you can share with us? Sure. For our project dealing with, um, the title nine, 
stuff of how schools are intentionally discriminating against women in, a, in intercollegiate athletics. It's Title IX fail, Title T-I-T-L-E-I-X fail, F-A-I-L. Mm. Um, if you're interested in um, my um, um, my social media is hogshead3au. And um, it's kind of a joke. AU is the periodic table of elements for gold. Get it? Oh. Sorry, so. <laughs> <laughs> and then... Uh, and then Champion Women is I Champion Women, and we're but we're on Facebook and Twitter okay. and on Instagram. Okay. Um, so yeah, so those are always important. But you know, there there's there there's there's like so many parts of an elephant to make it happen. So some people really want to give to research. Some other people really want to give to giving girls that opportunity in sports. If you're interested in that legal part, the part where you know, our side is the contentious side. Our side, unfortunately, is the part where, you know, we're calling out people and institutions that are not providing equality. And um, if you're interested in that effort, then that's us. Then we are the ones who provide that legal advocacy, um, um, who who are uh, all of our efforts are designed to get change to scale. So me as a lawyer, I easily could just be doing the cases and, but you know, it's a movement or exactly. But I, mm -hmm. I, I can't, you just can't do that many cases, right? We need to, our goal is to get 100 cases going in the next year. I see. 100 title nine cases that leave the school in compliance, um, uh, that lead the school, making sure that they're not discriminating against women. You measure that through this thing called Title IX, but when I say Title IX compliance, what people hear is like, ah, that's just a box to check. It's not a box to check. It is instead a measure of intentional sex discrimination. And sex discrimination in athletics is a million times easier to measure than race discrimination. Yes, in at least I imagine. Yes, I can see that. Yeah. Employment has a much harder time using the law to be able to um, to get major systemic change. But when it comes to the discrimination in athletic departments, it's very measurable uh, because you've got sports that are uniquely sex segregated, that you've got men here, women here. So, um, yeah, no, we're we're uh, we're running flat out and we love it. I wouldn't I wouldn't want it any other way. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Wow. I I've learned a lot speaking to you today and I really appreciate your your passion and and how you're contributing to a better world and and I want to thank you for spending the time today. Thank you Nicole. Thank you for having me on and get letting me have a window into your viewership. Hey everyone, I wanted to tell you about a powerful new tool that supports your mental and emotional health in what are extremely trying times. And you may remember that I've been a psychotherapist for 30 years and I'm always a little suspicious of products that claim to help us feel less anxious, depressed, or worried. But then I was introduced to a new kind of app called Cope Notes, and I have become a big fan. Cope Notes was developed by a guy who spent a lot of his life trying to figure out what might help support him through his own weekly psychotherapy sessions. 
Cope Notes is an app that gives you random texts through the day to break through some of the negative messages that might be repeating in your head. It's well-researched and has been a Adopted by many mental health facilities. I highly recommend it. I think we can all use a little support right now. So check out copenotes.com forward slash zestful. I will receive a small portion of those proceeds. Um, and I'd love to hear your feedback about how it works for you. Thank you so much for joining us on Zestful Aging. If you like the podcast, please share it with some of your friends. I love to hear from my listeners. Send me an email at nicolechristina.com. It's no secret that everyone's feeling pretty restless and unsettled right now. Our lives are upside down and the future is feeling pretty uncertain. But if you're anything like me, organizing my stuff can help me feel a little calmer. It's something I can do to help me feel a little more in control and in charge of my own life. If you think decluttering could help you feel better and you could use a little assistance with that, check out the online course I've developed with professional organizer and designer, Carrie Luteran. It's called Too Much Stuff. And too much stuff is different from other courses or articles or guidance you may have used. Uh, we give you clear steps to deal with the clutter and the tools to help you face the overwhelming feelings and the emotions that come up when we're going through our clutter. And a lot of those emotions are just feeling anxious or guilty or just basically flooded with a lot of different confusing feelings. The course is really practical. It's realistic. The lessons are short and punchy, and they're really manageable. We're not trying to set you up for some long, exploratory, you know, super in-depth, uh, burdensome experience. We want something really helpful for you right now. We all need help with our anxiety. So, being surrounded by more calm and less chaos can really help. So now's a good time to clear out the clutter so we can focus on what's really important in our lives. So find out more at zestfulaging.com. You'll see more about this under the web courses tab. If you have any questions, just shoot me an email at zestfulaging at gmail.com. Thanks so much. And stay tuned next week for another interview with a fascinating and inspiring guest. <music>